I will try to address the question about the original uh, justice uh, according to Aquinas in reference to Adam and Eve, of course, as Mario said. So I will start with uh, the conviction that many of our contemporaries consider the medieval debates on paradise and life before original sin in the state described as original justice to be trivial, especially when they hear questions such as, did Adam grow in virtue in paradise? How did he know the word and God's? Did some have power over others? Did Adam suffer from to take in paradise? At the same time, the truth about the world as it existed in the beginning and uh, about the evolution of humankind that is being discovered by natural sciences appears to place the Darwinian Adam in stark opposition to the biblical Adam. So uh, in my presentation, um, I would like to focus on Aquinas Adam by reflecting on his life in paradise before sin, including his emotions, his knowledge of the world, his dominion over other creatures, and his relationship to, with other human beings. I will discuss the kind of faith of God that characterized man in the state of original justice, and I will conclude by putting forward an open question about what can be attractive to modern science in Aquinas' uh, interpretation. Before we proceed with our analysis and reconstruction of Aquinas' vision, it needs to be noted that um, the contemporary collective image of paradise is clearly marked by Neoplatonism with its claim of a transtemporal fall. Therefore, in order to understand Aquinas, I think, it's necessary to deconstruct that image. In other words, we need um, to use uh, Aquinas' method to demonstrate first what paradise is not, videtur quot non, and uh, in order to uh, attempt an answer to the question of what it actually is. It appears that man's paradisiacal life didn't proceed in a state of beatific vision as evidenced by the very debate about uh, the paradisiacal motivation. I mean, uh, the reason why Adam could have succumbed to temptation while being perfect and living in an optimal world. For Aquinas, the paradisiacal state didn't consist in possessing the beatific vision and any further arguments on how it was possible for man to allow himself to be deceived in that state simply confuse the state of original justice with the visio beatifica. Importantly, these are two different states. It's also worth noting that Aquinas is primary, although not exclusively, interested in what happens to human nature, his interest in the universe as such being secondary. Therefore, he speaks not so much about a fallen world as he does about man who lost his rectitude and, in a way, went out of tune. Following uh, this uh, analogy, man after sin continues to assemble the same instrument, for instance, like the guitar, but has to be tuned once again to play right notes. Doing so requires a tuning fork that will provide the correct pitch. This was the reading of paradisiacal life adopted by the church fathers, who saw Christ as a tuning fork, which is clearly evidenced in another uh, iconography 
this time from Santiago de Compostela. We have St. James Way going there. So uh, we, we can see uh, in this uh, image the Portico de la Gloria. And this is the uh, 24 elders from uh, the Book of Revelation. They don't play music. They have some instruments, but they are tuning instrument like before concert. Not This is not uh, just simply uh, playing. So um, Aquinas doesn't speak of the word in terms of theatrical stage set that someone has suddenly changed in the wake of scene, thus placing men in another context, because it is in man that the change has occurred. Furthermore, the disvalue and harm that appear in the evolutionary image seems to uh, undermine the vision that the world was created as good, or at least raise the question of how this goodness should be understood. Aquinas responds that the very order of goods permits the existence of evil so that, they quote, men should advance to the end of good both through the good and through the evil of another man, and quotation. According to St. Thomas, therefore, the goodness of the world doesn't mean an absolute absence of pain or imperfection, but an environment in which the human self can develop in freedom. Aquinas gives a clear indication that the fact that Adam didn't suffer doesn't mean that the history of evolution doesn't include death of suffering. Uh, one sentence from, from Summa Theologiae. For the nature of animals was not changed by man's sin, as if those whose nature now is to devour the flesh of others would then have lived on herbs as the lion and falcon. Thus, there would have been a natural antipathy between some animals, claims Aquinas. Before commencing a detailed analysis of Aquinas' vision of uh, life in paradise, it's important to know the terms which St. Thomas uses to describe Adam's situation in paradise. There are expressions in his work that refer to the fall, such as ante peccatum, before sin, in statu innocentiae, uh, in statu integritate, in uh, primo uh, statu, and the, the key term that is uh, justitia originalis. Uh, notably, Aquinas uses the term status, first introduced by St. Augustine, in order to indicate a condition that is characterized by a certain degree of stability of permanence. Aquinas is convinced that <clears throat> the prelapsarian Adam had been created in grace, or more specifically, the ordering grace of original justice, which empowered him to achieve full participation in the life of God without sin or suffering. This was possible not due to the fact that he had something that the post-Lapsarian Adam didn't, because it had been taken from him as things are taken from a child who is misbehaving, but due to the fact that he had become disordered. Therefore, the consequences of sin are not uh, a punishment inflicted on nature for Aquinas, Instead, as a result of the event, nature was left to itself, relicta est sibi, which means that none of the moral powers were in themselves corrupted, thought they may have been wounded. Aquinas' consistence in how he speaks about paradise. When he describes life in the state of original justice, he emphasizes that nothing is from God without order. 
and that every evil is contained in the order of some good, and the slaying of the sheep is the meal of the wolf, which means that evil entails the loss of some order, the transgression of God's will. Thus, while we typically hold a culturally static and transtemporal view of paradise, Aquinas sees it as a space for and way of development toward perfection. In the state of original justice, uh, Adam was perfect, I quote, as regards age and stature, which means that Aquinas doesn't consider the paradisiacal situation as something absolute, but rather as something appropriate for a given stage of development. This is why he's interested in a number of issues which demonstrate that Adam broadened his knowledge through his way of knowing the world. All this was possible because paradise was not a destination, but an intermediate location on the way to eternal happiness. Let's see the quotation from Aquinas. Man was happy in paradise, but not with the perfect happiness to which he was destined, which consists in the vision of divine essence. He was, however, endowed with a life of happiness in a certain measure. As Augustine says, so far as he was gifted with natural integrity and perfection. This state was characterized by the existence of internal order that could only be treated from without, which is one of the reasons why Adam had angels as his guardians. Nevertheless, Adam was also capable of avoiding perils from without thanks to his own foresight and to God's grace. If the state of affairs in paradise can be described as original justice, this is because of what constitutes the essence of justice, the correct frame of reference and the relations uh, and the order that exists in the will, making it possible for us to give what is due, as expressed by St. Anselm. Justitia est rectitudo voluntatis propter se servata. According to Aquinas, Adam's main characteristic is precisely that order, which he refers to as rectitude. This view is based on the biblical passage, which says that, I quote, God made man upright, Ecclesiastes 7, uh, 20, Deus fecit hominem rectum, which means that he set man right. The term has a dual meaning of righteous and of good disposition. This refers to an optimal state that is the result of grace. For this rectitude, says Aquinas, consisted in his reason being subject to God, the lower powers to reason, and the body to the soul. And the first subjection was the cause of both, the second and the third, since while reason was subjected to God, the lower powers remained subject to reason. Uh, rectitude consists uh, in being duly subordinated to the ultimate goal and manifests itself in three types of ordering, of which the first one, ordering towards God, is a key. For if it were to wear as when uh, a sweater is torn, others would follow and all else would lose its harmony. For that reason, according to Aquinas, Adam's sin didn't concern the sphere of the senses, but that of uh, spirituality, of the soul, causing the first man to stop functioning in his typical manner 
while remaining in the same world. The paradisiacal Adam's strength in his natural life was therefore his relation to God. Thus, I quote, in a way, as a result of the fall, Aquinas Adam returned to a purely natural, spiritually and morally impoverished state and so would have experienced an original fragility. Aquinas finds that Adam, as the principium of humankind, was capable of knowing things that concern not only the first principles, but also the purpose for which the processes that he observed were taking place. In more specific terms, Aquinas emphasized that Adam didn't have knowledge of things in their natures, since all things didn't exist in their nature at the time, but rather in the world. He knew them by way of definition, understanding their proper nature, for instance, knowing the quality of being horse-like rather than specific horses as such. In that manner, all things were in his intelligence, even though he didn't perceive them all with his senses. This means that he was able to progress in his knowledge on creation. More specifically, Aquinas believed that Adam could make progress in knowledge in two ways. First, by knowing through divine revelation the things that couldn't be reached by natural reason, or by knowing through the senses the future things that would reveal what he, had know, uh, he hadn't known before. Or the second line, by gaining confirmation through sense experience of the things that he had only known through intellectual knowledge. Nevertheless, he didn't possess perfect supernatural knowledge, since his body, while naturally perfect, was not endowed with the perfection of glory. Therefore, Aquinas claims that while it was fitting for, for Adam to have all the virtues by reason of original justice, it was not necessary for him to possess all the knowledge. His way of knowing was thus not to find out new things, but to re-experience what he had known habitually. Living in the state of original justice, the prelapsarian human beings possessed knowledge through grace, which was how God spoke to them within. This knowledge, however, was not always knowledge in the act, instead being given only to the extent revealed by God. He couldn't know angels' separate substances if, as Thomas emphasizes, he used knowledge based on active and passive intellect. In his quest for knowledge, he had to deliberate in order not to fall into error, although he was able to avoid any error by reason of his rectitude. Therefore, Aquinas states that the soul of the first man couldn't uh, see the angels in their essence. Nevertheless, he had a more excellent mode of knowledge regarding the angels that we possess, because his knowledge of intelligible things within him was more certain and fixed than our knowledge. And it was on account of this excellence of knowledge that Gregory says that he enjoyed the company of angelic spirits. End of quotation. However, Adam knew his own soul perfectly by reason of his excellent knowledge of intelligible things. Recounting the dispute about whether Adam could be wrong in his knowledge 
or whether he could form false opinions on the things that surrounded him, where be, uh, Jerome believed that Adam could err and Augustine believed that he couldn't, Aquinas uh, maintains that there could be no such false knowledge due to ordering of the intellect and will. Just as there was no bodily defect, there could be no false opinion in Adam's understanding of things, either since he not so much bad opinions about things as he knew everything with certainty. For that reason, Adam immediately recognized that the serpent couldn't speak and therefore didn't enter in a dialogue with it. His sin didn't consist in being deceived on intellectual level, but in his exaltation, the arrogance of his mind, which led to the severance of the affective union that bound his soul to God. When, discussion, uh, when discussing the perfection that comes from the right order of the will, Aquinas raises question concerning the presence of emotions and virtues, as well as the manner of dominion over other human beings and animals. With regard to the emotion of the first people, Thomas noticed that they were exceptional in character and, they, and that their very present was important due to the fact that it uh, stemmed from the nature of the human beings as one who has sensual desire and who suffers. In that respect, he argues, perfection doesn't consist in the absence of emotion, but instead in the orientation. What emotions, according to Aquinas, did Adam have in paradise? Above all, those concerning the presence of good, such as love, joy, and hope for future good, although not in the same manner as we experience them. In Adam's Adam case, on account of rectitude, the word of the senses and emotions was subordinated to reason, and therefore emotion followed from knowledge rather than preceded, which stands in contrast to the situation after sin, where emotion pushed one towards knowledge or distorted. Thus emotions didn't get in the way of reason. In Adam's life, there were no emotion associated with evil and no desires or concern as to whether some good would emerge, because he, being rightly ordered, didn't fear whether he would attain such good in the future. And as regards the sensation of pain, it's important to read correctly the statement that Adam felt no pain, which would suggest impossibility to any of the evil or suffering that, as we know, existed around him. This appears to suggest a distinction between two senses of suffering, a change from natural disposition and a change that leads to the perfection of nature, the latter being what prevailed in Adam's life. In Aquinas' view, due to the coherence of his intellectual, moral, and physical condition, Adam was capable of responding to the challenges of the external world by taking guidance from providence, in relation to which he remained well-ordered. This means that no matter how difficult and perilous uh, the external environment was for Adam, it wouldn't have caused pain and suffering to him. Thus, he would have been able to avoid many perils by his own resourcefulness or with the help of providence. In that respect, it may be helpful to distinguish between being susceptible to pain and suffering pain. 
Adam didn't suffer the kind of pain that would be associated with the loss of some good, for example, illness, internal disorder, or disturbance. But he might have been affected by some minor uh, health conditions, because this would have permitted him to navigate the surrounding natural world more easily and in a more useful manner, as Aquinas said. Natural difficulties wouldn't have been overcome by way of some supernatural removal of obstacles directly by God. This is not the meaning of grace that Aquinas maintains. Uh, but, as uh, Thomas said, by integrity of nature, strength by God's gift. Thus, as he believes, Adam would have overcome fever had it affected him by the efficacy of his nature and would have conquered difficulties with the help of God's grace. All this would have been possible thanks to divine favor whereby the integrity of human nature was maintained in him, since nature was so designed that there were no excesses, and if they had been necessary, for example, on account of expulsion of excess food, they would have existed, I quote, without any fullness. Adam's possession of virtue follows from the essence of rectitude, which entails proper subordination of sensual power to reason and of the soul to God. That, that is why Aquinas states that Adam would have possessed all the virtues, although some virtues pertaining to certain imperfections, such as penance or pity, misericordia, would have only existed in habit, not in act. It may also be surprising to find that the first man, I quote, was so disposed that he would repent if there had been a sin to repent for. And had he seen unhappiness in his neighbor, he would have done his best to remedy it. End of quotation. So uh, the issue with the sin that broke original justice is not uh, the mere fact that it occurred as if anything could cause the loss of the state of innocence, but the absence of a plea for God's help, or, in other words, man's persistence in this new state, rather than the fact that some individual error was made. What about dominion of uh, creation uh, and man? As we know, the Bible speaks uh, the relationship between man and surrounding world in terms of keeping or dominion, in the book of Genesis. Uh, similarly, Aquinas discusses Adam's knowledge in terms of being needed to govern his own life and the life of others, uh, uh, although the understanding of dominion is different. The relation between uh, people uh, would have been based on governments among free individuals that would have consisted in orienting them towards their own good or the good of the community. Thus, dominion of one over other would have existed in the state of innocence, which Aquinas justifies by arguing that man is a social being and that in multiplicity, a superior is needed to safeguard the common good. And as regards some raising above others in virtue, this would have been used for the good of other people, out of concern for one another and in mutual service. In summary, a model similar to council-based governments would have prevailed in paradise, according to Aquinas. Concerning animals, man's mastership would have consisted in commanding them in a similar manner as in the case of sensitive powers, as well as using them. 
uh, I quote, thus also in the state of innocence, man's mastership over plants and inanimate things consisted not in commanding or changing them, but in making use of them without hindrance, end of quotation. Furthermore, uh, furthermore, predatory animals wouldn't uh, have injured man by reason of his proper use of things, which means that he would have known how to prevent them from doing him harm. Now, let's go to the second point of my presentation about faith uh, in gods uh, of Adam in paradise. On account of the fact that innocence is treated as being in the state of wayfarer, in Statuviatoris, rather than among the saved in heaven, Aquinas is convinced that Adam in paradise had faith because, as we can see, the perfection of the primitive state uh, didn't extend to the vision of divine essence and the possession of God with the enjoyment of final beatitude. Hence, faith and hope could exist in the primitive state both as to habit and as to act. This claim concerning Adam's faith is founded on the fundamental conviction that before the fall, he also needed grace in the same manner as we do after original sin. The difference between him and us is not the fact that we need grace more than he did, as if it were about increasing its intensity today, but that we now need it for a great, greater number of things. Even before sin, Adam, I quote, required grace to obtain eternal life, which is the chief reason for the need of grace, end of quotation. This, however, doesn't mean that he was able to behold the essence of God immediately in the first moment of his existence. Although Adam desired to see God in his essence, he didn't suffer at not having seen him in the state uh, since he desire was well ordered. Instead, he calmly awaited the right time to do so. However, Aquinas admits in his De Veritate that Adam's mind in the state of innocence was not sufficiently perfect for God to be present to it in intelligible form. Knowledge of God in Statuviatoris uh, differed in degree and kind from the knowledge of God possessed by the saved in heaven, which is why men before sin didn't know the essence of God and his way to knowing the Creator led through a unique contemplation of created instead. This was different, however, from how we, after sin, know the Creator from his work, since uh, the knowledge granted in uh, the first state was clear and more intelligible. Man in paradise, however, knew God not thanks to the effects, but through the effects and in the effects themselves. Creation was, in a sense, transparent, naturally revealing its creator. This is what Aquinas means when he claims that Adam knew God through the mediation of some intellectual light infused by God into the human mind, bearing a clear similarity to the uncreated light. What Adam needed was a light of the intellect, both natural and granted by the grace of faith, and the ability to capture the likeness of God. Importantly, the fact that he had knowledge through the light of contemplation doesn't mean that the knowledge of God from creatures was unnecessary. 
In fact, men found joy in being able to know the same things in different ways. After all, grace doesn't make nature irrelevant. St. Thomas interprets the biblical account of how God spoke to Adam in the following manner. The divine locutio didn't take place by means of some internal message, like inspiration, alone. It may also have taken place through creatures, whether by image of bodies in ecstasy of spirit or by some image presented to the senses of the body themselves, says Aquinas. To illustrate uh, the nature of such knowledge, Aquinas employs two metaphors, the mirror and the sun. Uh, the former metaphor shows that man in state of innocence didn't observe things themselves, but their reflections. Thus, man didn't know God directly, as the saints in heaven did, but through something else, something other than discursive knowledge. And uh, here's the quotation for Aquinas about this kind of knowledge. Medium of knowledge is to fall, said Aquinas, one through which and at the same time in which something is seen. As, for example, a man is seen through a mirror and is seen with the mirror. Another kind of medium is that where we, we attain to the knowledge of something unknown, such as the medium in a demonstration. God was seen without the second kind of medium, but not without the first kind. For there was no need for the first man to attain to the knowledge of God by demonstration drawn from an effect, such as we need since he knew God simultaneously in his effects, especially in the individual effects, according to his capacity. The other metaphor is the sun that points to God as the premium principium, an uncreated light that makes all other things being known by man intelligible. While man knows colors thanks to sunlight, the mere observation of a color doesn't justify the conviction that he does sees the substance of the sun. Instead, he sees what flows from the sun. Another question that Aquinas raises uh, is, did Adam believe in Christ in paradise? In this context, uh, his response to such a uh, question uh, concerning those living before the incarnation, uh, Aquinas makes a distinction between two types of faith implicit and explicit. On the basis of that distinction, he demonstrates that every believer has in some way believed in Christ, either as the one who is, who is to come or as the one who has already come. In the state of innocence, men didn't have any beliefs concerning redemption as there was no such need. Yet, by believing in divine providence as the source of what is needed for salvation, he believed in Christ, maintained Aquinas. Still, there was one matter which uh, required explicit faith, both before and after sin, namely uh, belief in the Holy Trinity. Uh, from paradise to heaven, would Adam have stayed in paradise if he had not sinned? Paradise as the place in which uh, the state of innocence prevailed was intermediate station 
rather than the final destination. And Adam had the road from paradise to heaven ahead of him, just like we do after sin. As Thomas notes, the promised reward of the immortality of glory differs from the immortality which was bestowed on the man in the state of innocence. Therefore, the difference between the two states also concerns the manner in which freedom is experienced, while freedom in heaven consists in, in not being able to sin, non posse peccare, freedom in paradise consisted in being able not to sin, posse non peccare. Importantly, both cases are expressions of freedom. If we sometimes say that the purpose of earthly life is to attain paradise, as was uh, the case with Christ who spoke the following words to one of the criminals on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, then the transposition of the term paradise to heaven refers to the suavitas, said so Aquinas, that characterized the future glory. This is an analogy with the earthly paradise which was governed by moderation and the ability to conquer difficulties. The terminology concerning heaven, with the distinction between different heavens, such as the third heaven to which St. Paul was taken by way of special grace, can be burned. A spiritual paradise in the sense of perfect delight in God consisted in seeing God, but in a broader sense, it may mean any contemplation of God. Aquinas orders such paradises as early as in his commentary on the sentence. Paradises of three sorts. One is the earthy paradise in which Adam was placed. Another, the bodily heavenly paradise, that is, empyrean heaven. And another, the spiritual paradise, that is, the glory of the vision of God. And one should understand the Lord to have spoken to the thief of this latter paradise, for immediately after completing his passion, both the thief himself and all who were in the limbo of the patriarchs saw God through his essence, said Aquinas. It, uh, it was fitting for man that he was not placed from the beginning in the empyrean heaven, which is synonymous to being face to face with God for eternity, as was the case with angels by reason of their nature but rather destined to be transferred there after a certain period of time. As Aquinas noticed, the material experience of paradise was appropriate for man, and even his deprivation of paradise occurred for a reason, since it corresponded to his nature. And after sin, for the memory of the paradise um, for the memory of the paradise, man could be instructed in things pertaining to the heavenly paradise, the way to which is prepared for man by Christ. Uh, differences between these two states, uh, the state of innocence and uh, beatific vision, we can uh, summarize uh, in, this, um, in this table when we see uh, the paradise as related to the time and have an eternity, different kind of freedom, felicity, that anticipation of beatitude thanks to the grace, and in paradise there was a faith in God and the light through itio in the case of, of heaven. So going to the conclusion, um, which ideas we can ask concerning the human life and nature before original sin 
seem relevant to contemporary dialogue between science and religion. In response to this question, it's worth highlighting some of Aquinas' concepts that bring structure to his reflection and bode well with such dialogue. Uh, first, uh, it's helpful that uh, Aquinas' description of paradise and life in the state of innocence remains realistic. Uh, predators are predators, and man's life is based on rectitude, synchronization, and harmony. The evil of punishment, malum pene, as opposed to the evil of thought, malum culpe, exists to, to reveal God's glory. Man is set within time. He has emotions and develops virtue on his way to heaven. Aquinas correctly formats biblical history, making it compatible and capable of being correlated with natural sciences, at least at some degree. Uh, man's well-being is not a matter of miracle, but the effect of his proper internal ordering. Another promising aspect is the perception of Adam's perfection as something relative rather than absolute. He is perfect commensurately uh, with his development, which is closer to Irenaeus' view that um, uh, closer to this, to this view. Secondly, um, there is a dynamic concept of nature. The sin committed by the first people breaks uh, the covenant with nature, which, as Ars Divina, that's the expression of, of nature in Aquinas, uh, is manifestation of the creator's wisdom. Nature has its own dynamism, thanks to which it is itself capable of achieving the goals inscribed in it. Since Deus et natura nihil frusta faciunt, a broader look at the meaning of natural history before sin is possible. Thirdly, uh, the correct understanding of grace plays an important role, making it possible to understand how in the world described by the theory of evolution as being marked by the presence of, of evil aggression, Adam could have withstood the influence of that aggression thanks to the sanctifying grace of rectitude. Since grace doesn't replace nature, but reinforces it, it's relevant to the entire chain of traits or predispositions inherited through evolution, orienting them to in a proper spirit-body relationship. Thanks to grace, man was properly ordered in accordance with his nature and with his vocation to attain the beatific vision. Uh, this is the nature of love that uh, doesn't love all equally in quantity, although in the same manner, but emerge from what is natural in order to attain freedom. In this vision, God doesn't overpower or control creation, but instead empowers it. However, it has to be noted that for Aquinas, canonic theologies are not sufficient to offer a complete explanation. Uh, thirdly, uh, there is a focus on the fall of man rather than of nature. After sin, nature becomes rife with challenges for man, yet it's still the same nature, although changed from its earlier form. Uh, St. Augustine needed Adam's perfection to explain changes in nature, which is understandable considering his struggle against manichaeism. St. Thomas adopts Augustine's position 
but he maps the disorder of nature after seeing to the correct coordinates and builds upon it not in terms of punishment to nature on account of man's sin, but rather in terms of its impact on the order of universe. Today, these themes converge to a great extent with the issue of complexity in nature, where be nature is seen as a set of interrelated phenomena rather than as monads. Thus, the connection between moral order and natural order becomes clear. And finally, just to resume the um, comparison of the situation before seen, as Aquinas showed during uh, Summa Theologi explanation and in some of his uh, biblical uh, commentaries. So, uh, just to finish with small motion about that today we have anniversary of the death of John Paul II, so let me finish with just short prayer, St. John Paul II prayer of us and for Ukrainian people as well. Thank you very much.